Hello, you cat and dog people. This is It's Training Cats and Dogs, the show for people with both cats and dogs who want peace in their home and peace between their animals. I'm Naomi Rotenberg, your source of practical strategies for keeping everyone in your multi-species household safe and sane. And today's episode is a chat with another pet professional about how they've used their expertise to manage the relationships between their own pets. Our guest today is Judy Poslins, an applied animal behaviorist from Toronto, Canada. She is the owner of Cat School, an online clicker training school for cats. Her goal is to help cat guardians teach their cats fun and practical skills to enrich their lives and strengthen the cat-human bond. Her assistant teacher is a clever and adorable black cat named Jones. You see him on YouTube all the time. And she also has a dog named Delilah. So hi, Julie. I am so excited to talk with you about training cats and your animals in particular. So thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk with you as well. So before we dive into stories about your pets, their behavior, and what you've learned about training cats, and your history, let's do a really quick icebreaker so that the listeners at home can get to know you as a human a little bit. So hit me with two truths and a lie about you, and I will try to guess, and everyone can guess along with me. Ready? Go. Okay. My thesis was on coyote populations in the urban environment. I have a cat who loves dogs and other cats. I worked as a dog walker for over 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) I worked hard on these. (laughs) Yeah, those are all plausible. Um, I'm going to go with that Jones does not like other cats. Wrong. Dang, I'm horrible. <laughs> okay, which one is the lie? The coyote one. I didn't ah. study coyotes. So I studied what, dogs for my thesis. Ah, so where did you do your thesis and what was it actually on? So I did my thesis in um, St. John's, Newfoundland, which is in Canada, and it was on the interactions of unfamiliar dogs. So I studied all, so yeah, I have a lot of like, like you, a lot of interest in the interactions of animals. So yeah, dogs, I did um, like this, basically I looked at their interactions over time to see mm-hmm. how they changed with familiarity. Mm-hmm. So. I, if you want to, I will link to this thesis. I like reading them. I also did. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also did a a, thesis, a dog related thesis, so it's always fun for me to kind of see whatever yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, that sounds great. I look forward to reading it. Um, so let's switch gears a little bit, since I erroneously thought that Jones was not dog or <laughs> cat social. Um, let's talk about your animals. So he's obviously good with Delilah. So tell me a little bit about the history of how you got them um, and how they came to be roommates. So um, this is going back a way long time ago, but I had a dog named Tyson. He's, he passed away now. So he, um, he was not friendly with cats and then Delilah came along and also, well, she actually followed in his footsteps. So whatever he did, 
she did. <laughs> but anyway, so I was, we were living with um, two dogs, Tyson and Delilah and a cat, but the cat lived upstairs. This cat Mackenzie lived upstairs and the dogs were downstairs and I was doing a lot of dog boarding because I actually did work as a dog walker for mm -hmm. over 10 years and I was doing a lot of boarding. So I had my house separated, no interactions with, the, with Mackenzie and the dogs. And then Jones, the kitten, I found him outside and I brought him in. And knowing that my whole house was separated, I did just did naturally did not want to keep him because I was like, what's the point of having another cat that can't, you know, have the whole house? And so I made all these plans to adopt Jones out. And this, the craziest thing happened was that Jones was very friendly and not scared of the dogs at all so even though he was upstairs behind the gate he would sneak through the gate <laughs> the other cat never tried to sneak through and he would come down the stairs they would bark at him and he would run up the stairs and then he just repeated that over and over again i wasn't prepared because i wasn't thinking you know i was going to keep him or anything and so when i actually saw that jones was very friendly towards the dogs not scared of them and that the dogs were like not really you know, they were more bark than bite. I decided to keep him because I thought it was amazing that I had this, you know, this cat who <laughs> could live with these dogs. So um, that was kind of the story. But what was really interesting after that was watching the other cat, Mackenzie, who I never bothered to train. I never thought to, in to try to introduce them see how he was interacting with the dogs and not fearful of them and how that affected her behavior. And so it was a whole big eye-opening experience for me that to be honest, I didn't have that much training and like, I didn't, I had more just management going on and the, they were kind of like showing me how things could unfold. And I think the sad part was that I never tried to introduce Mackenzie so that she could have had the run of the house. There is so much to unpack in this story. I'm like, <laughs> oh, great. So we have this idea that like it's, it's accepted lore in the house that the cats and the dog, because of the interactions that you have seen, um, are just not going to get along. So you manage, which mm -hmm. is totally fine. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure Mackenzie had a wonderful life <laughs> and slept with you or whatever ended up happening. Um, mm -hmm. And so what it became clear that it was the cat's behavior that was the important part of what's dictating how the dogs were reacting. So how, how did Mackenzie act before Jones? Mm -hmm. um, around the dogs so we really just didn't have any interaction like Mackenzie wouldn't come downstairs um she was fed upstairs and we didn't want the dogs upstairs we had a very narrow staircase so it just wasn't even really an option and I was doing the boarding so mm -hmm. like taking together all those things it was like there's just keep keep these animals separated she just didn't even want to make herself known I mean the truth is now that I'm realizing it and I know the more you do with them and the more you try, the more responsive they will be. So mm -hmm. it, I do have guilty feelings about it. It's not like I think, oh, Mackenzie had a great life. I, mm -hmm. I kind of think, why didn't I bother? You know, why didn't I think it was possible? I was a trainer. You know, I just never thought it was something that was 
I was going to work. I, it never crossed my mind. That's just really the bottom line. Never crossed my mind to try to see if I could get them, the dogs to tolerate Mackenzie and Mackenzie to not be fearful of them. Like I never mm. tried. So if you were to do it now with hindsight, mm -hmm. um, do you have any ideas of what you might have done differently? Uh, well, definitely Mackenzie was super responsive to training and clicker training and treats. And as soon as I started working with Joan, suddenly she came alive and she wanted to do whatever he did. Mm -hmm. So knowing that she was really treat motivated, like the, the, the interesting thing about our house is it was set up so perfectly. Like Mackenzie could come down the stairs and could have ended up on the counter and still been really high and away mm -hmm. from the dogs. So that was part of it. I was just really lucky to have this great setup. And that's how Jones was able to stay safe. So knowing, you know, I had this great setup and that Mackenzie was really treat motivated, for sure, I could have like done stuff where she would have come downstairs, been on the counter, and I could have clicked, you know, use the clicker to like encourage her to notice the dogs and then had the dogs kind of noticing her and use the clicker to reward them for noticing and not barking. So yes, definitely lots I could have like done to encourage the interaction. Yeah. And it, obviously you had management that worked. Mm -hmm. um, so it would have been just an, uh, and I, you would have just had to like come up with specific times that you would allow her to come down work yeah. the animals and then go, the dogs yeah. and go back up. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people run into this where they're like, I don't have a house that's set up so that my animals can be actually separated for mm -hmm. an extended period of time. And I am there. They come together too often yeah. to prevent any kind of blow ups or anything like that. Yeah. Um, I believe my house was a big factor in the success with Jones as well. Like I, you know, I, I didn't think about it at the time, but knowing now I think that it was a huge for my lack of training made up for the fact that the house was set up so well, you know, the dogs were scared to go on the stairs even, and mm -hmm. you could go down the stairs and end up on the counter. So there was like that, you know, super highway for the cat to kind of be able to see what's going on and not get too nervous. Yeah. Yeah. There it's like a built in DMZ almost because the yeah. dog just wouldn't go. Yeah. Well, do you still live in this house? No. <laughs> <laughs> Darn, this magical house that we could have. The this video great with. house I do not live in anymore. <laughs> um, so now that, you know, Jones came along and he showed everyone that, you know, he can show up and nothing bad is going to happen. Um, what do you think was going on in the dog's minds? Oh, the dogs, they're just, you know, Tyson was extremely challenging dog. Mm -hmm. That was really what was going on. And he just, you know, he, he hated everyone and everything, basically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he was one of those dogs where he, everything would just kind of cause an outburst. And um, so there wasn't anything specific about cats. It was just his personality in general, you know. He had a lot of triggers and he was very responsive to those triggers and cats were one of them. But like anything, he was actually very trainable. So as long as he learned that it was fine and, you know, there wasn't anything to really be concerned about, he would actually get over things fairly quickly. So when Jones showed up, the you said there was a lot of barking and mm -hmm. was there chasing or did Jones decide to go upstairs on his own? What did that look like? 
so yeah, Jones would kind of sneak down the stairs just at the right distance. They would kind of, both the dogs would kind of notice him, lunge and bark, and then he would go upstairs. And then it could just kind of happen over and over again until eventually they were like, just, I guess, basically desensitized really to him. You know, they just were like, what's the point? He was so small at the time too. Like, you know, I don't think they were that threatened by him. Mm -hmm. uh, so, cause he was a kitten. And so I, I like, I just think all the conditions were fine. Even though I had the difficult dog, I had the good house. I had a little kitten. He wasn't scared. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of all, you know, I think I was very lucky. I know most people do not have this kind of, you know, it'll work itself out scenario, <laughs> mm -hmm. but I just did. And I was very lucky for it. Um, cause that's how I got to keep Jones. Cause I didn't think at the time, Oh, let's, you know, let's train these dogs. Right. But, yeah. So what does Jones and Delilah's relationship look like now? So, Jones loves dogs and he loves cats and he's a weird socially. He just is really good with other animals and Delilah really can't be bothered much with him, but uh, she's 16 now, but he is the sweetest. Like he, he's the best roommate. He rubs next to her. He follows her around. He's just, she's going through like the cognitive decline stuff and he's, always there just like super responsive to if you want to see my I posted something on my Instagram but basically it's like their interaction is just the sweetest thing he follows her everywhere and just kind of gives her the head rubs and <laughs> he's just a really big yeah I mean and it had nothing to do I did not teach him this this is just his personality he really likes other animals he has this weird like I mean I don't know maybe some other cats do this but he really watches their her face and her body language and if she kind of gives him any sort of you know hard stare he's he's really responsive to it like he really looks and watches her face what signal she's giving him and he did it with the other dog too so that's interesting he naturally does what I recommend for most people. Which <laughs> if you see the dog giving a hard stare, you call either whichever animal makes yeah. sense at the time away. Um, but he's, he says, all right, well, I'll self-regulate. I'll back <laughs> off. Um, that's amazing. He really is an amazing animal. Um, yeah. I wish I could say I, I taught him any of it, but I do think a lot had to do with the boarding. Right, mm -hmm. we, I did so much boarding when I he was a kitten. I have pictures of him curled up in tails of Shelties and Portuguese water dogs. Like he just loved dogs. <laughs> it's he's a funny anomaly. <laughs> uh, I'd love to see those pictures. Yeah, he's very cute. So, how did you go from dog boarding, dog walking? and working with dogs on thesis and stuff like that to switching over to cat stuff. So I was, so I'd come back from doing my, my master's and after working as a dog walker for a long time, I was kind of thinking like, what's next? And you know, what am I going to do? Um, I was also tired. I had to finish my thesis. So I was kind of looking for something that was more on the computer and not, you know, physical like dog walking was. Uh, and I was running a dog walking business. So I had like a lot of dogs a lot of staff it was just a lot so I was looking for something a bit you know not I wouldn't say easier but just less um required less of my my time and energy 
And um, so there was two things I was kind of like thinking of. One was going to be helping people start a dog walking business, which has always been, you know, something I'm interested in. And then, and I was kind of pursuing that. And then at the same time, I was, I was clicker training my dogs all the time. I've always been a big clicker trainer um, because that was how, how I managed my dog's you know, sort of naughtiness. (laughs) And it kind of gave me the love for them because they were so smart. So I would clicker train them at night. And I was, you know, um, working on my thesis. And then Jones joined into the clicker training sessions. And so I was like, Oh, I wonder if I could teach him all the things I taught my dog. So I started teaching him. And at the time I had a dog walk a dog um, trick account on Instagram. I was posting my dog's tricks all the clicker training tricks I was teaching them. And I posted one of Jones. And the next thing I started getting like so many questions, how did you teach your cat? Like, how did he learn this? So then I put together a couple tutorials and one got featured on the Dodo. And then my account started like really growing. And I was like, Oh my God, like people are interested in this. Mm -hmm. And so at some point I just switched the count. <laughs> I was like, okay, like no one's interested in the dog tricks, but everyone wants to know how to get their cat to fist bump. So I was like, okay. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, it was just kind of like that. And then there was um, a friend who was living downstairs in that same house and we were always talking and she's like, well, you know, maybe there's something here for you. Like maybe you could keep this, keep going with this cat stuff. And uh, so I just kind of took a few steps and tried to, you know, tried to see if I could kind of grow something with cats. And it wasn't easy. I'm not going to lie, because it had, took a long time for me to figure out, like, what would people actually pay for? You know, mm-hmm. this is cute. This is entertaining. That's very different than having a business. Mm-hmm. So I had to figure that out. And that was a big, 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 big leap for me. Um Cause I remember first doing like, who wants to teach their cat a secret paw shake? <laughs> you know, and I was like, this is fun. You know, in my mind, it was like, oh, who wouldn't want to have more fun with their cat? Uh, but that was like not gonna work. <laughs> it would take a while for me to kind of figure out what people needed and stuff. So, do you feel like you've? transition towards more like problem behavior, problem solving stuff versus tricks? Or, you know, what are you finding that people need? Yeah, well, it's always been a hard one for me, because, you know, tricks is my passion. And I've never wanted people to just be, you know, showing up for well, I'm here to solve this, and then I'm out of here kind of thing. So there's been a bit of a balance and I always try to connect, you know, the tricks are enrichment and do, you know, I think the, where I've kind of found the meeting or sort of the, the area where I can feel comfortable is overcoming boredom mm-hmm. and boredom is related to problem behavior. Mm-hmm. So if problem behavior and boredom are related, then I can kind of, you know, find my way about trying to, you know, sell, cat training services because it's enrichment, it overcomes boredom, which therefore solves problem behavior. So I can connect the dots for people. Um, but I definitely never turned my marketing into the, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna solve all your cat's problem. Like I've never done that. And I just can't because I don't believe in it. <laughs> you know, but I say that even in my thing, I'm like, if all if you're only here just to like stop your cat from doing stuff, then you're not at the right place. Because that's not what we're here for. 
I mean, that's a huge thing. That's how I start all of my programs too. It's always, okay, management first and then enrichment. You can, mm-hmm. you can quote unquote, solve a lot of issues if the animal is enriched on their own. Obviously, yeah. they're going to be less cranky in general. <laughs> they're going to yeah. have their energy being put into more appropriate avenues. And so mm-hmm. when you then co- bring them together, you have a lo- higher chance of it going well than if they have this underlying stress of not having their needs met. So I think you position yourself in the best way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And tricks are useful. Like they're, you know, I just posted the thing about stationing. Like yeah. it's one of the most useful things mm-hmm. for quote unquote, working on problem behaviors too. It's like, okay, I, I need you to do, to do this for a second, <laughs> um, yeah. which means you're not doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it definitely makes a lot of sense to me um, to have that be a real, a service that everyone who has cats needs to know about because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so many people are like, you can, you can train your cat question mark. Um <laughs> It's like, yeah, you can, um, yeah. you should, because yeah. I think yeah. at least for me in the cat dog realm, I have so many clients who are wonderful trainers. They've done so much work with their dogs and they have like a really, really good foundation. And then as soon as I say, actually, let's like train the cat also, it's just the, the interactions just become a million times better yeah because everyone's like playing the same game now everyone is understanding each other's behavior and it just opens up so many doors um Mm -hmm. do you feel like there are specific things that you teach people to do that seem to like bring out like amazing results people are like i this trick was like the best thing um for for my cat I try to get people on a roadmap and, you know, just encourage them to kind of move from one thing to the next and stay committed and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I've, and maybe I could even focus more on, you know, stationing is like the number one thing you guys can do that will make, you know, managing your cats. Cause I've seen a lot like trainers online talking a lot, probably more than I do about stationing. Um, I guess I, or I get started a lot is just, <laughs> I end up spending a lot of time trying to get cats food motivated and getting people going um, because that's a big thing, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, I could be working with people for a while on, you know, my cat grabs, <laughs> they're either food motivated or they're gra- not food motivated or they're grabbing and scratching. <laughs> so I kind of get, you know, started there with people uh, and I try to play some games to kind of, get past the food motivation hump. I hate having to deal with the food motivation thing, but unfortunately with cats, it's such a big, with dogs, it's not really ever not, I'm not going to say it's not, you know, some dogs are more food motivated than others, but with cats, you know, you do get a lot of people coming in who leave their food out all day coming Mm -hmm. into the program is what I, I meant to say, but I'll get people coming into the program and they've got their food left out all day. I've got to start there. Like I can't really move anywhere else until we get, like, let's get your cat food motivated. Let's get mm-hmm. your cat working for food. And sometimes people are coming in expecting me just to be like, oh, here's the one treat that every cat will work for. And it's like, no, 
we're not starting with the one tree that you can, that's not how training works. Right. <laughs> so I, I mean, I, I wish I could say there's, there's some training thing that, but it's really the layers and layers that kind of come before that a yeah. lot of time. Yeah. I mean, the food motivation thing is huge. Um, yeah. And I, I, I also see the, the two sides of it. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have suggestions for people who have the grabby cats? Um, I mean, I, I'm assuming for the non-food non-food motivated cats, there's the not free feeding um, and trying out different treats depending on, you know, to figure mm-hmm. out that cat's preferences. Um, is there anything that on the other side for the, the super grabby cats um, that people could start doing? We'll just go back a step for the for the cats that aren't food motivated. I always do encourage people to switch to meals with moisture so that they right away can use their dry food to train. So that's mm-hmm. like kind of my one thing that I will, because then I can get them started right away. I'm like, you don't even need a special treat. You have your cat's dry food, just put it away, get them on, you know, like either wet, raw, whatever, something that has moisture in it multiple times a day. And then we can use the kibble the dry food to train. Um, And then I also encourage like introducing freeze dried treats and stuff. So that's kind of like my strategy for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, On the other side, I do really encourage the target stick training. We, I, part of my kit, I sell a target stick. So Mm -hmm. I have like tools that I sell and the target sticks, one of them. And, And I'm always trying to encourage people to use it because then it keeps your hands out of the mix and it teaches your cat the rules of the game. And like, the more I dive into target stick training and I look at, you know, people who are target stick training animals at zoos, it mm-hmm. like further reinforces what I'm doing when I say like, let's use the target stick here and we're going to teach a lot of skills and then we can always retract it and get your hands closer once your cat kind of learns the rules. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm big on that and, you know, always learning like are people having success at the target stick and if they're not... So I do spend, I end up spending a lot of time there too, because people do struggle with that as well. Um, And then we've played some, you know, Zen bowl games and stuff, but to me, I feel like the target stick is always the best option uh, as a starting point, because it really just solves that problem. I can get the cat to do so many behaviors. I can get that person working without having to really have their hands anywhere near the cat. So because the cat is far away from you, once you've clicked and you bring the food out from, let's say, the pouch or whatever is near you, you can then toss the food away so they're not as grabby towards you. Yeah. Or something just like you use the target stick, get your cat up on the chair, click, place the treat even on the chair right behind them or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. they're not probably not going to be that fast. Um, I use the chair a lot. So that kind of thing. And then same thing off the chair, use the target stick to get them off the chair, click, toss a treat right away. They're not, they're not going to be able to, um, you know, get to your fingers or anything and stuff. Yeah. I also run into, you know, once the cat (laughs) takes treats reliably, then the question is like, how do you deliver the treat in the most Mm -hmm. efficient way? way because there are some cats like that cannot follow a tossed treat or yeah. they can't find a treat that's right in front of their face because their visual systems just aren't tuned into like stationary stuff near their face so like do you have suggestions for people that are trying to figure out reinforcement strategies that work well for their cat 
outside yeah. of the, the food itself? Yeah, I mean, I do have a, a little like a PDF to help people get from to, to get the cat to take their treat from their hand. Mm-hmm. So I kind of have a strategy for that. Um, I haven't really gotten that many people saying that their cat can't find the treat. We do a lot of the the one game that I always start with is I put a treat in a cup and I see if the cat will get find the treat. And then I use the cup as a way to teach them to fist bump. So I get the cat to hit the to use their paw. And then we use the clicker and then we start raising the cup. So that's kind of my, like one of the things I do a lot Mm -hmm. and that gets them um, working with, you know, sniffing out the treat too. And I have a whole like little game that they can continue by adding a second cup and seeing if the cat can find the treat and, you know, where's the treat. So like we do do a lot of these foundation things to kind of get the cat working and seeing if they can you know improve at their at finding treat like from being a dog walker too i always thought i always saw that dogs learned to find treats if i practiced enough with them so i know it's a skill that learning how to use their nose and tracking treats is something they can learn mm-hmm. uh, where we get tripped up sometimes is like you know you're using crumbly treats and then suddenly there's like freeze-dried excuse me, freeze-dried chicken chicken on the floor and the cat's distracted. <laughs> so that can become a thing for people. Um, you know, there's always something, right? You mm-hmm. get, that's like a roadmap. You get stuck here. Okay, the cat now is now finding the treats, but there's crumbs everywhere. Okay, <laughs> where are we going from here? Okay. <laughs> the next rep is in 10 minutes after yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> for the Hoover's You know, there's always something, but the goal is just to keep people trying, right? Mm-hmm. It's a new thing and it's not that well known. And I think everyone's going to come to it with the idea, like, can my cat do this? So I do spend so much time on like, is your cat trainable? Will they follow food with a spoon? Is your cat trainable? Will they find a treat in the cup? Is your cat trainable? I do a lot of like that kind of thing with people. Ah, It's kind of like reinforcing them like rebuying in yeah to the concept oh, yeah my cat is trainable like they followed the the, 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 spoon, the food on a spoon okay okay we're good <laughs> that's brilliant oh you're so good i've been doing it a while now so i've definitely you know where i started and where i am is you you do realize what you gotta kind of offer people to help keep them in you know feeling like think they're making progress as well because it is harder like it's not as easy as training i'd like to say it's as easy as training a dog but i would i don't know if i can really say that i think it's not that much harder but you never you know you don't know what other people are experiencing yeah i mean in my case also i think i run into the issue of the fact that like there is at least two animals that need to be trained and so like having that amount of work for Mm. people like off the bat is important to keep people motivated and finding those little um milestones along the way to say like look you're this is this is working Mm -hmm. um so i i'm so happy to hear these like different techniques of really thinking about how to keep the humans invested because it's very easy to just say, all right, well, the management's working. All right, that's work, That's good enough. And for mm-hmm. a lot of people, it is. That's good enough. They've figured out what works between their animals. And I'm happy to say, great, you know, stay there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the people who do express 
saying like, I do want my animals to get along rather than just exist together. Mm -hmm. Um, It does require effort on everyone's part. Yeah. Um, And it can get frustrating if it's not a linear journey. Yeah, Um, absolutely. I I get the roadblock Mm -hmm. analogy a lot. Yeah. Um, It's, training to I mean we have a lot of you know training to cats how Mm -hmm. do we train to cats that's like in my a lot of people reach out to me about that so it's obviously when you do add in that second animal it's challenging how to manage it it's hard enough training one but when you've got two and you don't have strategies you know really good strategies in place and time Mm -hmm. start putting all those variables together it's hard yeah. Do you have um, kind of a go-to suggestion for people who do have two cats um, mm-hmm. and either one of them is like trying to hound in on the other training session or maybe those cats don't really get along outside of training? Um, what What do you tell people? So my goal is the on chairs like in class like in a classroom like kids in a class that is the goal but that's not always the starting point so um because every animal will need well every cat will need to learn how to sit and stay in a chair first and kind of like again learn the rules of this of the classroom uh and then so if you kind of dial it back then you're going to have those situations where you know, they try to train one cat to go on a chair, but the other cat's scratching at the door. So you're going back. So the easiest stuff I always start with is just um, food puzzles with each cat. I'm really big into, and I, I never used to be this way, but if I can solve a problem by telling someone to buy something, I will. <laughs> I never used to be this way, but now I'm like, okay, buy snuffle mats, buy play pens, let's go. <laughs> Here's, here we're going at it. And so I do tell them snuffle mats. And then I say, like, this is kind of my newer strategy is like snuffle mats on each side and you're sitting at the doorway in between them. And you've got Mm -hmm. one cat moving away from you one way and you're moving away the other way. And because cats are actually more bonded, like if you've got, you know, they can be really bonded. Mm -hmm. And if they're siblings, they live together, you know, sisters, they're not used to ever being apart. Mm -hmm. So it's it's really, really, really hard to start saying, okay, you're going to, I think it's so important though. I think it's so beneficial for every cat to have a strong relationship with their human outside of their sibling. I think Mm -hmm. it's a good thing, Um, but it is a hard thing. So that's why I have this new thing with his, the door and the snuffle mats and like, just see if you can get them to get treats going in the opposite direction. Let's just start with something as simple as that. Can Mm -hmm. they, can they eat a treat while the other cat is eating a treat or are they watching the other cat the whole time? Like we have to keep going back and back until we just get that beginner. Yes. My cat will eat a treat while the other cat is eating a treat, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at what distance can we do that? Can we, we add distance? Um, I'd love it to be, you know, just as simple as let's get them each up on their chair, but that's just not going to happen for a while. We wouldn't have jobs if it was that easy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but I love snuffle mats. I love play pens. Like, I love all these tools now. Like, I think the snuffle mat for cats is one of the greatest things. And I have no trouble telling people to buy it. I used to, you know, 
be a little cautious saying, I even have people come into my program. They're like, I wish I would have known all these things you were going to make me buy. I'm like, well, you know, I, so now I have to add like a little list or a long list, I should say, but I will recommend things, food puzzles. I'm big on recommending food puzzles. Mm -hmm. If food puzzles can solve a problem, if licky mats can solve a problem, if snuffle mats, you will be buying those things, you know? Yeah. Well, if people want a quicker fix and you can yeah. buy a quicker fix, then yeah. you know, I'm I'm all for it too. It's yes. you gotta start somewhere with a quick win. Yes. So that people are invested. Exactly. Um, and, and buying something for forty dollars solves you know, gets them to that place where they're like, Okay, I can do this, then you know. Same thing, like play pens as dividers I'll use too. Like if they don't, because I, you know, I even just asking someone to like put up, not that I have to really do the baby gate thing, but like a play pen can be a really good divider. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that you can move around or having one cat in the play pen eating a snuffle mat while the other cats, you know, out, outside, like stuff like that too. So I will recommend play pens a lot now than, more than I used to. But I use mine too. Like I think they're so great for cats having play pens. Yeah, I can hear all of the people saying, my cat would jump that in a second. Well, they have the tops. They have tops. You're talking about the ones that are like foldable, yeah. like little mini tents, basically. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Yeah. Well, I'll put a, a link in the show notes for this magical play pen that you're talking about. <laughs> I, I can picture it, but I know other people are like. Yeah. Well, people in the cat world do use them a lot. Cause they'll use them for fostering. They'll use them for managing multiple cats. Like they're a great tool. And I see more and more I'm recommending them too. Unfortunately, when I recommend stuff, cause I'm Canadian, like Amazon loves to give me, give me the Canada link or I'll get something that's only in Canada. And everyone's like, where's your playpen from? And you know, I'm trying to figure out which one they should get and stuff. Products are always funny that way because yeah, you can't always get what I have, but I think we could find something similar for people, but I do love the one I have. That's the funny thing. It's I put my cat out on the porch in it and he just sits there and watches the world go by. Like it's a great product. It's a portable catio. Yeah. It's a portable catio. Exactly. And so it helps with training, helps with enrichment. It helps with managing um, jumping on counters. People are cooking. They can like put their cat in the playpen and, you know, sure, I would love to teach a station behavior, but if you can put your cat in a playpen with three pu puzzle feeders while you're cooking, I'm fine with that as well. You know, we don't have to do tons of training. Or even just as a stopgap, right? Like, you, yeah. know, you want to do something first while yeah. the training is coming online. Yeah. So I guess my larger question would be, if you had someone who came to you and said, you know, my cat and my dog are just not are not getting along. Uh, I know this isn't what you do um, necessarily, but you would say, what what would be the first thing that you would suggest mm -hmm. for them? The first thing is I would try to understand the setup of their house and can they improve the setup? That mm -hmm. would definitely be my first thing because I think, you know, if the cat doesn't have a safe place to observe the dog and the dog is chasing the cat away because there's no safe place for the cat to be, then we're not going to make any progress. So I do always start off with like, what is the setup of your house? Mm -hmm. And can we improve that to make everyone have the safe 
spots that they need to be in so that there's no negative interactions? So I have a lot of people who ask, who come to me and say, it's the cat that's the problem. The cat is the pushy one. Uh, you know, like stereotypically, the cat's scared and the dog is chasing them. But what what it would do with them when the cat is the instigator? Well, there's always the, um, like the two things, the stationing. But the other thing that I always recommend is harness training. And I know not a lot of trainers do, but I'm a big advocate for harness training cats and I will tell people, again, you're getting that harness early on, like, or not, not just in this situation, but in any problem behavior, I will tell people to buy a harness and get started on their harness training. Like you have a kitten that's running around being wild. Let's get that kitten on a harness. So similarly, I would say for sure, we want that cat on a harness just so we have a bit more control over those um, interactions. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, continue on with the training using both the combination of the harness so you can, you know, control a little little more of the movement. Mm -hmm. Um, And then starting with the training, where do you want that cat to be when the dog is around? And what do you want them to be doing when the dog is around? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, obviously, I think cats are pretty trainable. And as soon as you kind of go to that, you know, when the dog is in the room and we're doing this, you need to be on your cat tree and that's where you're getting treats. Uh, I think that you're going to have, provided the cat is food motivated, it's not going to be that hard for the cat to realize, you know, staying at this spot is where the good things happen. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to be here. Um, So yeah, that's kind of where I would, where I would start for sure. Um, but I do like the harness and I think it doesn't take that long to take to train cats to wear harnesses. And um, I think that I hope in the future, you know, it becomes one of those things where like when they, someone gets a kitten, they harness train them right away. That would be great. Um, I, I had this, the, uh, the stereotypical um, before I knew anything about anything, my cat was my first kid. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, cute harness. And I just put it on him. And he was like, oh, God. Yeah. Move. Um, and then I totally gave it up because I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. But there are much better ways to, <laughs> to introduce a cat to a harness. Um, just, you know, that's something you guys should ask Julie about. Yeah. <laughs> Not that hard. I, I, I don't. I think it's one of the easier ones for sure. So then my... Last question would be something like, if someone is thinking about adding a cat to a house with a dog, mm-hmm. what would they need to know or kind of be ready for before they do that? That's a good question. Um, I think, you know, you can already have a good idea about how your cat, your dog is going to respond to a cat by some, and I wouldn't necessarily say this is a hundred percent true. And maybe you might have some thoughts on this, but how they respond to cats outside versus when a cat is in their house and it becomes familiar. So I don't think every dog who's reactive to cats outside would necessarily be bad at having a cat in their house. (laughs) I think it is different, but, um, I think you could start there and you could say this could end up being a problem. And can we introduce our dog to uh, a cat and see how they respond in a safe way? Um, More and more people are starting to do that. And I encourage like 
I, I, whenever I see someone who walks by with a puppy and I'm outside with my cat, I always let their dog meet my cat because I want them to see that cats aren't scary and they get treats and my cat's fine and their dog gets a chance. Because I don't think a lot of dog people have a chance to introduce their dog to a normal, not a normal, I'm not saying not normal, but to a cat that's not, you know, terrified of them. So, and I hope that changes. And, you know, that would probably make your job and my job easier if dogs were socialized with cats from Mm -hmm. an earlier age and saw them outside and got treats and whatever. So I think there's like a, the understanding of, you know, knowing your dog and how your dog responds to cats already and what you've seen outside, if that's possible. Um, And then your, your house set up too, I would definitely say, because if you, not that we're okay with the management, but we need to be for as long as possible. And if it's not going to work out, is your cat going to have an okay life? Is your dog going to have an okay life? Like, you know, you have to be prepared if it doesn't. And then the next thing is the cats, um, they do test them at shelters to see how they respond to dogs. So you obviously can get a cat who, I don't know how um, accurate it will be, like how accurate their tests are. Mm-hmm. But if you can get a cat that's met dogs and was fine with dogs from a shelter versus just, you know, finding a cat off Kijiji that you don't know, I think that would be, I would definitely recommend that as well because they do test, um, you know, pet finder, you'll be able to see likes fine with dogs. So yeah, I think those would be like three things is know the dog, um, get to know the dog as best as you can, figure out if your house will work for proper introductions. And if, they can't be besties. Will your house still allow them to have, you know, happy lives Mm -hmm. and happy and rich lives. And then find a cat who has a personality that already suggests that they would be open to having a relationship with a dog. I think that is a really good roadmap. Um, It causes, it gives people the opportunity to really assess whether this is the right thing for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and to start the process of thinking about what their dog needs to know, what they need to be able to do in order Mm -hmm. to help the process along. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the same thing with like dogs and babies um, where, you know, the, you're going to be more successful if you think ahead of time about teaching the appropriate skills and, Mm -hmm setting up your environment and all of those things just to set yourself and your animals up for success as much as possible. Um, I think that's, I wish more people were proactive like that. Um, yeah, for sure. Whoever listens to this, be proactive and (laughs) (laughs) get to know your pets, get to know your dog, look for the right cat and do the training and do as much training as possible to set yourself up and set your environment up for success as well. Like set your environment up. So it increases the positive interactions that you're looking for. Cause like, you know, with cats, first impressions are so important with all animals. Mm -hmm. Like they really are. And if they have bad first impressions, it's really hard to overcome that. You know, I learned that studying the dog dog interactions and as a dog walker, it's like, if they have a bad interaction right from the start, it's going to be hard to change their mind about they have really good memories and they will remember the incidents that they had and probably be fearful of each other for a long time after that. 
So you have to be proactive and prevent those first interactions. If a cat gets chased by a dog, it's going to be really hard to overcome that again, knowing that that could happen again. And they're, it, it's just, it's, it gets so messy, you know, yeah. it's unnecessarily messy. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Pre- prevention is much better than, yeah. uh, I don't know, one ounce of prevention. Here. <laughs> Insert idiom here. Um, <laughs> so if people want to learn more about training their cats, which they should, how would my kids are screaming? Um, <laughs> um, how should they best get in contact with you? So there's the free stuff, which is YouTube. We have lots of YouTube videos, and that's always a great way for people to start and do the "Is my cat trainable?" video and that sort of thing. Um, if people want more support, then we have a membership. And that's where, you know, the roadmap and support comes in. Mm-hmm. And that's, they just go to our website, catschool.co. And the YouTube channel is youtube.com forward slash catschool. So, and our website's catschool.co. And that's where they can learn about the membership. And that's that, like a monthly thing. And they get all access to all the courses and my support. That sounds like a really good opportunity. Um, and I know that people who have done your course love it. Um, so I'm really glad that you're, you're doing this for the cats of the world. <laughs> Thank um, you. They appreciate it too. Um, do you have anything else that you want to add before we end? Um, I'm trying to think if there's any words of wisdom, but nothing <laughs> nothing's coming to me. I think this was a great chat. We covered and, a lot. I think it's, uh, it is interesting to think about the different ways, like introducing cat cat and cat and dog and you know like i i've never really thought so much about how the the different um processes would be but um yeah they both come with its own challenges for sure you know and um yeah it's hard stuff whenever you have those two animals together it's it's a lot so but People should, you know, be up for the challenge because it's totally doable and worth it. And everyone can, you know, hopefully live happily ever after <laughs> with some <Yeah>. fun training. <laughs> training. Fun training and good treats. <laughs> exactly. Oh, there's there's a slogan in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Training to your happily ever after. Anyway. Um, well, thank you so, so much for coming and chatting with us. I know that the listeners are going to have get so much out of this and I am going to sign off now, except for that. I'm going to say the end. Okay. <laughs> and then I'm going to sign off and then we'll be done. Okay. okay. Hold on. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. If this episode helped you feel less alone in your struggles with your cats and dogs, please rate review and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Your support helps other people find this show and get access to cat and dog specific content. You can also follow me on Instagram at Praiseworthy Pets. I'd love to hear your suggestions for who I should interview next because Julie was awesome. And if your pets aren't getting along, you want to improve their relationship, but you don't know how to do it. I'm opening up a new course in early 2022 that takes you step-by-step through the process from establishing your management plan to training your core behaviors to creating setups that will take your pets from cranky to coexisting. Go to praiseworthypets.com course to get on the wait list. 
And that's all for this episode, you wonderful cat and dog people. I'll see you next week for more It's Training Cats and Dogs.